We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash hack it out. Just go to Indeed.com slash hack it out right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash hack it out. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Right, guys, welcome back to the Hack It Out podcast. Myself, Mark Crossroad, Lou Stagner, and Scott Fawcett, as always. And we've got a very special guest today. We've got an LPGA player. She's got career earnings of over $4 million. She's had top 10s, over 20, or 27 top 10s, three career victories. And at the moment, she's standing 14th on the Rolex rankings. So she's a pretty special talent. It'll be a fun episode today. We're going to be introducing you, if you don't already know her, to Austin Ernst, um, a superstar on the LPGA Tour. So it should be a fun one. Welcome, Austin. Thank you for your time. Thank you for joining us. How are you today? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining us. We're all going to fire some questions at you. Pretty impressive career so far, isn't it? I think your rookie career, you started uh, 2013, I think, was your rookie year. Was Is that correct? Yep, that's right. So uh, I think going into my ninth year now on the LPGA. Hey. Excellent. So uh, my first question, just to kick it off, um, 2019 in your rankings was a little bit of a wobble, but you've gone 2016, 51st on the rankings. Then the next year you were 33rd, then you were 20th, then you went back to 72nd. And then at the in 2020, you finished sixth on the rankings. Um, what would you say would have been the biggest thing that's changed for 2020? And obviously you've had, I think, is it one year this uh, one win this year as well you've had already um what yes. do you think has been the biggest change for you from those early years to now uh, I think I just have a little bit better feel for my game I can manage it much better than than I could when I was younger um kind of when I don't have my best stuff I can I can still get it around right right around par under par um and then my putting's gotten gotten much better I've always been a very good iron player kind of if you look at my stats I've always been been near the top 10 or in the top 10 with greens and regulation and driving the ball, you know, at driving accuracy hasn't always been my, my strongest suit. I think, you know, okay. I improved that a lot in 2020. And then my, my putting was much, much more consistent last year. Uh, but right. I think I just have, I think I just have a better knowledge of my game and how to manage my game. Okay. That's interesting. When you say manage your game, do you feel that that's emotional based or is it skill based or a mixture of both? I mean, obviously in 2016, you're only on tour, you've been on tour for three years. I guess you're still kind of 
trying to prove yourself to a certain extent. Is there not panic's the wrong word, but are you emotionally stronger now, or is it just purely that your game's in a better place? Because you mentioned that you, you know, you play better when it's when it's going off the rails. You can still hold it round par now. Like, yep. is that skill based, emotional, or what? What's doing that? Um, do you think? I think I think that part was skill based. I've always been pretty level headed with golf. I don't really show too much emotion when I play, even if I'm kind of getting getting excited inside, I don't really show it that much. Um, I think I have a better knowledge of my golf swing. Okay. So with that, I can self-correct much better than I could. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just one of those things that, you know, you become, I used the term, I think last week, more mature. So I've, I've definitely matured with golf and I've definitely gotten to where it's, I know I don't have to play perfect golf to shoot under par. I know kind of where I can, I can make birdies where I've, I've always been a very aggressive player, but I'm much better now at picking my spots when to be aggressive. I'm much more aggressive now when I have wedges, nine irons, eight irons in my hands. And now when I have a five iron in my hand, I'm not necessarily going right at the pin. And I'm, I'm doing a much better job kind of when I have those in between numbers where I'm kind of in between a seven iron and a six iron. I'm looking more at, okay, where's the pin? What, where do I have more green to work with? And what shot am I more comfortable with on that day? I think in the past, I used to try to hit shots that I didn't necessarily have for that day. You know, I yeah. could obviously hit the shot, but maybe that day I wasn't feeling a, a fade. Maybe I was drawing the ball and I still tried to hit the fade. And that's yeah. kind of when you kind of get yourself in trouble with that way. Yeah, so I mean that does sound to me like you've really you've learned your patterns and you've matured as a golfer. Really, I mean that's yep. a great pattern that we. I mean, I would hope to see that with any of my students. Um, some interesting points there. Austin and I discussed. Um, you know, I asked her kind of this, the similar question. What what's kind of changed? And she mentioned from the app. She mentioned the Aaron Wise shot pattern. You know, and Austin, Austin that obviously filters in exactly with everything you're just saying. Just the reality of wow, I've got a five iron as much as I want to have a look at birdie or whatever, par's probably actually still, par's definitely gaining strokes, but yeah. talk about like that, you know, just understanding the reality of the shot patterns. Cause that's one of the main things I really try to focus on with the players that I work with is just, dude, this is reality. And you can use your, your launch monitors for everything you want to and face and path and all this stuff, but also just observe the shot pattern and you can't run from it. Like how, how does that work? And again, your, your psychology and your thought process there that you're talking about. Yeah, I think I do a much better job pre-round um, kind of each day of, you know, I have a good idea of, okay, what clubs I'm going to hit in, but I kind of, I kind of do the same type of um, warm up every day. You know, I kind of warm up six degree, nine iron, six iron. Those are kind of my irons I do, but I used to kind of always hit full shots, but I wouldn't really hit that many, you know, I'd hit, you know, little pit shots with my 60 degree and that kind of thing, but I wouldn't really hit, small six irons i would never flight the ball i would never try to hit the fade would never try to hit the draw that kind of thing i know you'd always hear like tiger saying oh i hit nine shots with each club low low straight high straight low cut high fade i never really did that and i kind of just always said oh well i hit the ball relatively straight i'll just hit my straight shots so i think with that i've kind of learned do i have the the fade today do i have the draw today and like you just said if I don't have one of them, I just stay away from it. And I might go work on it after the round, but I don't, I kind of play with what I have for the day. And I don't try to force what 
I I can't do that day. So it's not to say I can't. Is, is yeah. a perfect synonym for what I always talk about, just patience and discipline. Like the, uh, I don't know if it's a synonym or actually an antonym, <laughs> the opposite of like, I can't force it. I must be patient and disciplined. I think that that's, yeah. again, looking back at my game, it's just, again, you're 29 years old, I believe. Not that we should ever discuss it. It's all a <laughs> It is convenient. Public information. <laughs> I, I avoided that just, band of You're just not supposed yeah, to discuss fermentatious. <laughs> well, but, I mean, but this is what I think is so amazing is here's a girl who played, won the NCAA individual championship, first time going to Q school straight through, hasn't lost her card. Like this human is really, really good at golf. And even she, nine years into it, you know, over 200 starts into it is like, again, this is as it always comes across wrong. Like, but wow, I'm not as good as I think I am in a relative sense. You're obviously one of the best players on the planet, but you still ultimately have very little finite control over the actual golf ball. And that's a hard thing to accept and trust and be patient with. Yeah. And I think, you know, when I was younger, especially, I still have, a very aggressive game plan. You know, I, I think something I kind of heard one of my first few years is to be aggressive to conservative targets, which is kind of what I do with those long irons now. But I think what I do a better job of now is I used to be aggressive with every single club in my bag. I would, I never saw a pin I didn't like. So that pin could be four yards off the left and I can have a six iron in my hand and I would hit it right at it, which I, when I was on, I could shoot a lot of really low scores. But if I was ever off, then, you know, I turned a, a 70 into a 75 pretty quick. So I kind of got myself where I had to work way harder. And so now I think what I've done is I, I kind of pick those spots where I do have those clubs that I can, I can attack with. And I get a lot of good birdie looks. But when I don't, then now, okay, if I have to take a 30-footer, then I kind of take my 30-footer and I, I just kind of move on. Or I, I kind of know if the pin's tucked then I'm better off playing defense tucked to the left, better off playing more to the middle of the green. And yeah. if I have to take a chip yeah. from, from more green, that kind of thing. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's essentially just impossible to be, you know, air quotes on for 72 straight holes. Like it's just not going to happen. And, and it's easy in hindsight on the 18th green to be like, wow, I really didn't have it today. I should have. But just playing, at least picking those spots, because it's interesting. Obviously, you won last week on the LPGA Tour. And, you know, you won by five, even, and even then another three shots, I believe, back to third place from there. You basically crushed the field last week. And here in the final round, you get yourself into a situation where it's easy to look at and be like, wow, she made four birdies in a row, but they came on a par, a par three. How far was number four playing that day? 110. 110. So you should be firing aggressive right yeah, at it. Which it's, you the, putting... it's the postage. It's the postage. Yeah, yeah the postage. Stand. Yeah. And you... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you were putting from just right of the hole, which is again with yep. if it were 200 and you were right of the hole and the pins on the right, I'd be like, hmm, what was the target there? But you should be firing there. That's perfect. Yeah, it was it was three from the right side. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. perfect. And then two par fives. And then on six, I believe it seemed like from the video, you made a putt from the middle of the green coming across 
towards the hole. Like that's all about picking your spots. And those are usually going to be with, like you say, the gap wedge, wedge, nine iron, the par fives obviously implies you're either up and around the green in two and, or most likely with that hundred yard shot or less. Yep. That's the thing. It's hard to just like a poker, you're, you're, Poker is just not a hard game, but you have to sit around and wait for the right situations where you're in the right position against the opposing player. You've got the right stack size against them. And it just takes a lot of effort to sometimes just get out of a hand because it's just not all perfect. And that's basically what, you know, elite tournament golf is all about. The thing too was early in the round, you know, you kind of got, I like you just said, made a birdie with 50 degree wedge. I was next to the green in two on five, hit a seven on into six and hit a 54 degree wedge from 95 yards I think on seven so all those you know obviously took care of it and then we made the turn and the holes got a little bit longer wind kind of picked up um but I thought what was good with with me was I never really made hard pars coming in well that's where it's it's easy to look at back at it and say like well I mean she made a birdie on a par three with from 110 and some par fives is like well yeah she won by five, so she must have been doing whatever she was doing a lot better than the rest of the people. It's it's so easy in hindsight. I can't tell you how many times my adult friends would be like, oh, I played with such and such on the PJ Tour, and they shot the easiest 64 you've ever seen. I'm like, 64s don't look hard. <laughs> 64s, I, what do you mean? They, they hit it really well, and they made some putts? <laughs> like, it doesn't look difficult. It's that 70, like you did in this round. It's a really good round of golf, especially, obviously, it's playing super hard down there sometimes like that's just great golf and in hindsight it looked like it was easy but quite obviously it wasn't because again you won by five that you you absolutely dominated and that's it might have looked easy but it was because of great golf I had a lot of people tell me that they they thought I played a different golf yeah. course <laughs> <laughs> well you basically did in effect you did. didn't you uh, <laughs> Lou have you got a question for me what's uh, your I, question I have, a, I have a few um a couple that have come up that was a really fun co- congrats on the win last week by the way yeah and, and absolutely that was Thank a you. really fun course for the viewer to look at with the replica holes. And I, I don't want to put you on the spot about those, but those look like they were fun to play. Were they as fun to play, you know, in person as they were for us to watch on TV? Yeah, they are. That's what they, they did a really good job with a few of them. Um, I've never played Augusta. So I guess the only replica hole I would have played would have been true. Okay. Um, I really like their version of <laughs> Um, the poster stamp much more than true. <laughs> you allowed to say that? It was easier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The green was probably holding but a little bit more, possibly than Oh true. man, it was way easier. Well, and we didn't we didn't have and the wind wasn't wind. howling um, off the left either. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it wasn't in too off the left, so it was it was much uh it was much easier of a postage stamp. But yeah, it was a lot of fun. I thought um I've never played Augusta, but I thought they did a great job um with their replica of twelve and thirteen, which we played as eleven and twelve. You know, I, I asked, um, I played with Jennifer Pup show the last two days and I actually played with her on Monday in the practice round. And I, I asked her how well they did with um, 12 in particular. And she said 12, um, the green at Augusta is actually a tiny bit smaller. And, but she said it's much softer than, than Golden Ocala. Was playing. <laughs> so she said it was, it was a little easier to hit it. Um, but yeah, they did. They did a great job with them. And then I thought, a lot of their holes that aren't replica holes are actually really good golf yeah, holes. They were. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a few of them, you know, obviously like the road hole is completely different. Um, you know, you can't, you can't really replicate how that green works and, <clears throat> and how the road comes in on the right um, without it kind of getting yeah. goofy. 
So, uh, and they don't have, you know, it rained, so you can't, you don't have the firmness that you have at, at St. Andrews, but um, I think, I think they did a really good job with it. Yeah, that's great. Um, so you talked a lot about your game maturing and understanding your swing better. So what do you know today that you wish you would have known your rookie year in 2013? If there's one thing that bubbles to the top with my swing, no, in just your game just overall in general. in general, the one thing that you wish um, you knew back in 2013. I think I, I wish I would have known my dad's my swing instructor. And I think we kind of pinpointed something in 2018 with my swing that we have stuck with from 2018 to now. And we have literally worked on the exact same thing. And if I would have known that in 13, I think I would have been a much more consistent ball striker. I've always been a good ball striker, but I haven't always been consistent when I've been off. You know, the my driver in particular has kind of gotten off. Um, and then my irons, I kind of hit this, I call it like a skanky right shot. I kind of hit it thin and kind of goes a little right. But I feel like I've, I've gotten out of that and I've gotten a much better feel for I try to get my right side a little bit better. And then that just allows me to, to go ahead and move through it. I kind of used to stay on my left side and I'd kind of cover it. And my dad told me I just had really good hand-eye coordination for how I could hit the <laughs> golf ball. But um I think, I think if I knew that, I would have maybe had a little bit more success early on um, consistently. I still had, I still had success, yeah, you, you totally um, did. but, and I've, you know, I've, I've had success since my freshman year of college. I think it just would have been a little bit more consistent. I kind of, it was kind of what we worked on. Um, I made a swing change in 2010, 11, when I, right before I did win that national championship. And then I went on a run of semifinals of the women's AM. Um, and then won my next college event. But uh, I think I would have known that with my with my golf swing, and we would have kind of honed in on that one thing earlier. Then I think think that would have uh, would have helped me. But you know, I've I've still had a good oh, career. Yeah, that's great. So, so with your dad as your coach, are you interacting him with him more or less than you would uh, if your if your swing coach wasn't your dad? Like if my dad was my swing coach, which which he isn't, thankfully, um, I would I'd be on the phone with him every day about my swing. What's that, what's that like? For you? So our family has always been really close. So I talk to both my parents yeah. every day, but. Um, I think we talk the, I think the nice thing about having my dad as my coach is he will literally always answer my text. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, because yeah. it's, it, you know, he kind of knows I'll, I'll kind of text him and um, you know, we swing, we send a lot of swing videos. So I don't live in South Carolina anymore. I live in uh, Palm Beach gardens. I live in Virginia, other part of the year. So I think it's helpful because we have a healthy relationship and how we do it we kind of separate instructor and dad. We don't necessarily, if he says something to me, I think we just have a good relationship. So we never really, they, they intertwine, but it's never where we get mad at each other, I guess. You know, we're never are really having like strong disagreements on on my swing where that would get into the, the father daughter yeah he's got to be careful isn't it because that is a line isn't it and i've i've seen i've seen that exactly yeah i mean i've seen that with coaches yeah. and sibling like um sons and daughters yeah. who parents and it does get delicate sometimes that needs to be managed well yeah so i think you know my parents my dad's always been my my swing instructor so he's a um director of golf at a course in south carolina and i think from an early age i was never pushed to play golf so I think that's probably why it's been so good. It's always been me kind of asking him for help and it hasn't been him just giving yeah, me advice to give yeah. me advice. But I think what he's been so good at, which I, I think any good 
swing instructor wants you to own your game and be able to self-correct yeah. instead of having to lean just on him. And so I think when I left for college, he did a very good job of giving me an understanding of, okay, this is our, our baseline. Basically, this is where, where we are. And this is kind of the things we're going to watch. And when you get on the golf course and if you have this mess, this is what it is. So now, you know, before I send a video to him, I, I have a very good understanding of what he's already going to tell me where back in college, when I first got to college, I had no idea what I was doing wrong. I was just like, Hey, what's, <laughs> yeah, what's wrong? Yeah. Why am I hitting it like crap? And so now I'm like, Oh, well, I can see this in the video. This is probably what it is. Or it's, you know, with me, he, he kind of preached, um, fundamentals. So I kind of look at the five fundamentals and then I have my, my two things that are kind of my tendencies that I, that I kind of know manage. I need to yeah, stay on top absolutely. of. I like that. It's the fact that you can self-manage is so important. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think that's huge, though, in my opinion, because, you know, I asked a couple of college, you know, women's coaches if they had any questions that they would want me to ask you, because I really I want to bring, you know, a successful player like yourself, bring that mindset back to the colleges again, essentially having that conversation that like Lou's asking, what would you tell your 20 year old self? And I think that hearing I mean, I don't think that many people who are in college golf and, you know, struggling would look at the reigning NCAA champion and think that she's thinking of herself. I don't know what I'm doing out here. I think that's incredible to hear and it's, you know, it's candid, but it's just the truth. Like we're all just kind of on a, on a, on a hamster wheel at some point, just trying to figure it out. And it does take time before something clicks. Yeah. You know, I think golf's one of those things too, that it's, it's so fickle with how it's really good sometimes. And then it, it goes bad kind of quick, you know, and when you asked me kind of what was the difference in 20 and 21, I think in 19, when I struggled, uh, I had a little bit of a, a confidence issue where it was it's one of those things I knew I needed to be confident, but to play well, cause I wasn't playing that bad, but it's kind of, you know, is it the chicken or the egg kind of what comes first? You know, you need to play well and you need to be confident, but does confidence bring good golf or does good golf bring confidence? You kind of need both for, yeah. for it yeah. to work. And then in, in 20, I think the biggest difference for me is I, I got that confidence from playing a lot at home during the COVID break. And then when I came out and I played well at the British Open and then won the, the following week um, at, in Arkansas, I think I just saw that my game translates to tough conditions like we had at the, at the Women's Open. And then the following week, you know, I shot 20 under in three days. So I kind of learned, okay, well, I can play well on any golf course. It's just difference in, in kind of mindset and kind of how you have to manage the golf course and that kind yeah, of thing. Absolutely. That's good. I mean, I'm going to put it into perspective. I mean, 2019, you were 72nd on the money list. It's only the 16, 17, and 18, which was still, you know, I mean, you'd been on tour a bit, but they were pretty good years as well. It wasn't exactly like disaster. It's disaster compared to how good you had done, basically. In effect, it wasn't actually a disaster in itself, was it? Yeah, I kind of I kind of looked at it. I thought 19 was a big letdown for me. I didn't miss a lot of cuts, but I never... You know, I had one top 10 
I'd had at least two top tens even in my rookie yeah. year. So, you know, from my rookie year to 2018, I think I had I had always gotten better. And I kind of looked at 19 as okay, that's kind of a, a slump year, not great. And then 20 um, had had my best year yet with, uh, I mean, really the whole thing. I mean, I never, um, I'd never played that well at a at a women's open. Um, and to go out and, you know, I was in the last group on Saturday, played pretty well that day, and then ended up finishing fifth. And then the following week, um, came from behind in Arkansas. Uh, you know, that I think the the women's open really kind of gave me a ton of confidence in playing well at a tough yeah. golf course. I had not really played that well at tough courses. I'd kind of let those beat me up a little bit. It was true. That that was true. <clears throat> and I think it? Yeah, that yeah. was at Troon. Yep. So I think at Troon, you know, I really um had a very good feel for my golf swing and I had a very good feel for, you know, how to how to manage a golf course a lot better because that plays a yeah, yeah. you need to be like with the wind going and it gets any kind of bouncy around there you if you don't know where the ball's going or what shape you're in you're having an apple aren't you basically it's such a good yeah. course how did you find true like you did you enjoy obviously you had a great results so you enjoyed it but i mean it's quaint little clubhouse isn't it you know it's not like what well, i guess what you're used to it's it's a fun old-fashioned little clubhouse and what have you did you enjoy the experience i loved it that's why i I love going over to Scotland and playing, um, but I thought I thought Troon was fantastic. I thought they did a a fantastic job. Um, it was our first time getting to yeah. play Troon, so I thought it was really cool. You know, you get to you get to play the courses that that have kind of been on the typical men's yeah. rotation, and I think you know seeing it on TV. But it's it's kind of one of those places. I know I I had heard them say, you know, you go out. And it's pretty easy. And then you it's turn back crazy when you and come that's back. where that's where yeah. they'll beat you up. So I know, you know, kind of before we started the week, they basically said, Hey, you need to, you need to get it on the first, I think 10 yeah. holes. And then, hang on. Tell you. and then you turn yeah. and then hang on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's an amazing place. I, I was lucky enough to go to that open. Yeah. I did a bit of filming around it. Um, when that was Stenson one, I think, doesn't it? Uh, uh, June, that was when Henry, that was Mickelson and yep. Stenson's. Um, we stood on it. What's the railroad hole? Is it 11? 11, yep. Like that hole's just like, it doesn't stop having a go at you from tee to green. Like <laughs> even when you get up to the green, the wall yep. is literally all on the green almost. It's like, just give it a rest hole. Just like calm down a little bit. That was such a tough <laughs> hole. Um, Lou, have you got another question or are you? Are you... I, I do. Go so on, I'm hit the, me. I, I am the official math nerd here. <laughs> so I have to ask a math related question. Um, so when Scott and I put together information for PGA tour players, we have shot link, which has a significant amount of info and we can break it down a million different ways at some very detailed levels. Um, the LPGA doesn't, I can't tell you how many questions I get from yep. people that say, Hey, do you have uh, strokes gained info on LPGA players? And, and I say, no, I, I wish they had shot link. They don't. So in the absence of shot link, what do you do, if anything, to try and understand your game at a more detailed level than the stats that they collect on the LPGA tour? Yeah. So our stats are very basic. They are. Yeah. So what I started doing, I, I did my stats and which I didn't, I didn't look at them. My, my putting coach at the time did them in 2018. He broke everything down. So my fiance is actually a big math nerd. So awesome. <laughs> he, yeah. So he loves, he loves that kind of stuff. So I kind of told him, I said, Hey, I want to do, do some stats. And, um, 
he broke it down for me and I we can't quite do strokes gained just because I don't have have the field to do it against right um but I will have him break down um really everything I give him what club I hit how far I played the shot um where I missed the green how far I am putting so I, I kind of break down everything with um distances and clubs so like he even has for the year last year what I was with like my eight iron if I was you know 300 par or two over par whatever it is and then I'll um I'll break down putting and I'll do putting um inside five feet percentage six to ten feet percentage 11 to 15 feet percentage and I guess 15 to 20 and then 20 and out so what I thought was really helpful with that is I could look last year when I played really well and when I played poorly okay what's you know what gives kind of sure. which obviously courses are different that kind of thing but you know in Arkansas the thing that stood out was my putting inside of 15 feet was the best it had been and then when I struggled my putting inside 15 feet would be you know pretty low um I think last week I was I don't know the exact number but I was like 70 to 75 percent make from percentage distance? I think from like six to ten okay. feet I think that's pretty good <laughs> yeah so yeah, so it was it was pretty high. Um, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I haven't I haven't fully looked at those stats yet. But I think it's really helpful to see, you know, on firm golf courses because I I haven't broken down where each event, so I can look at every tournament individually, or I can kind of put them all together. And I think it really helps me seeing where I've struggled, whether you know it's always from a certain distance or if it's when it's firm, it's been these clubs that have kind of struggled or, oh, I've done really well with my wedges every week, whatever it is. So I think it just helps me pinpoint where I need to practice in a, in a better way. Yeah. yeah. So you're having to collect them on your own. Is there any stat nerds on the LPGA tour? Do you know any players who are like going, who do self collect and really go into it? Or is it still something that lots of the LPGA tour players aren't really looking at? Yeah. I'm sorry. I was 92% feet. <laughs> Or 92% from 10 feet in. I just got to text yeah. my friends. <laughs> awesome. That's, that's, that's pretty impressive. good. So, um, but uh, I know um, there there is a company, and I can't remember the name of it, but they have started to try to do stats, but their girls aren't doing it necessarily on their own. They're collecting it on their own, and then they're giving right. it to someone, and they're saying, hey, we have 20 girls. And these 20 girls did this yeah. this week. So of the 20 that we're collecting the stats, you gained three strokes on yeah, all of yeah. them, or you were first, first of the 20, 20 in this, but you know, the, we, we've really wanted to get shot link because I think yeah. it's such a benefit to be able to see, I think it's helped me even just being able to see against myself, yeah. what, what I've done. But if you can pinpoint against the field, if you can say, oh, you know, I'm 10th overall in putting from inside 15 feet, then, okay, that's your strong suit. But if you look at it and you say, oh, well, I'm awful from 150 yards and in, then, you know, okay, this is kind of what I need to work on. Um, This is my proximity. I mean, the other thing as well, which it would be so valuable for, but obviously I don't know the actual value as in how much shot link costs. I don't know the business model of it for the PJ tour side, but 
what it does as well for your tour that obviously you know the more exposure it gets the better the more people realize how good you guys are the better because that's something that's still so misunderstood out there in the realms of golf which yep. is so frustrating good shot link data would just expose your tour as be as showing people how brilliant the players are on that tour which i think would only make people follow it more which is you know something that we would all like to see more of um i do think it's a shame that they're not using the stats to because obviously you know an interview like this you're you're sharing what your feelings of golf but having the actual raw data of how far you're hitting it how many birdies how many putts you're making from ridiculous distances would just make that average golfer who sometimes doesn't really understand how good the LPGA tour is um, really, you know, how it puts it in perspective a bit more for them, I think, which makes it a better product at the end of the day. Absolutely. Especially if you can look at it and you'd say, Oh, okay. Well, the number one player in greens regulation on the LPGA tour is at 80%. Okay. On the PGA tour, it's 78%, yeah, yeah. you know, whatever yeah. those numbers are, but then you can compare it a little bit more, guys and guys and girls even though we're playing different golf courses it's still comparable and it's still one of those things with yeah, on the, especially on the putting yeah well the, the putting one is actually very interesting because i've looked at we just have really putts per green yeah. regulation and we just have total putts i find it very strange that the guys it's they're way lower than us on putts i don't know if that's still the case on total putts total putts lower as in they have more or lower as in they have less they have a they have a lower average than number one on the LPGA tour, which I don't know if that's one of those things that you look at it and it's they play on more consistent green speeds and and that kind of stuff because there's just too yeah. many external factors like greens yeah. and regulation, hole location. I mean, if a hole as we've discussed, the hole location on the PGA tour is usually three or four from the edge yep. for 18 straight holes. You can get a lot. Just there's just too much going on. Yeah you can look at make rates. So, you know, is obviously, you know, you I gave you the decade app last year and you, you know, you put a couple of rounds in, we do have a pretty decent, we've had about 40 or 50 girls on the LPGA and Symmetra tour that have tracked their stats and we segregate yeah. those things off to the side to where we can look at make rates. And that's really the most important thing. To, too much putts. mess in that data for it to really mean that much, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard to control all of it out. Yeah, and so make rates, which then again gives you basically total strokes to hole out from any given distance. We we actually have pretty. It's it, at some point the data stops moving, which is when you know you've got good averages, or yeah. the averages start moving, which is when yeah. you know you got good data. <laughs> or whatever. I'm still on too many drugs for my elbow surgery, but um, you know those those averages are pretty well frozen. So you know we can actually talk about that offline. I'll I'll just give those to your boyfriend because it's definitely it's good information. And I honestly I do believe that using the statistics. I definitely talk more people into believing they're not as bad as they think they are at something than they need to work on something because of stats. That's because you I talk to good players, though, Scott. I would say it's the opposite for the average Joe watching. When I've worked with stats with the average uh, or listening, sorry, the average punter who listens to the podcast, you know, your normal handicap, when they start collecting stats, it literally breaks their art because <laughs> their perspective of what they are compared to what they really are. But I think when you you work with better players like i would you know you're going to see that pattern where actually you're going to show them that they're a lot better than they think they are in lots of ways aren't you there's no doubt i mean again it's just there's just a, a million different things you can use the actual data for and and again it, it really is 
using it for whatever that particular player kind of needs. It, it, this is probably the question that Lou was trying to get at earlier with the question is when you said before you weren't as good of a putter and now you've worked on that. Cause you know, I've seen your stroke on TV. It's, I mean, it's amazing. You, you're probably too young to know who Lauren Roberts is, but it's the first stroke that immediately came to mind when I watched you putt. Cause it's just, looks like a perfect path, but it's just got an amazingly methodic rhythmical tempo. It's, I mean, it's, it's pretty money. Um, what made you think other than just gut instinct that you weren't as good and then, you know, to improve because 99% of the time when I get a player to improve their putting, it's just by saying, dude, just go work on your speed. <laughs> and we don't have to worry about your stroke. How did you improve? And um, why, what makes you think you weren't good? My speed. It's one of the things. So, um, my, you, you know, my ball striking <laughs> stats have always been pretty good. So I've always been pretty high in range regulation and, it's kind of one of those things like we talked about earlier, you know, if you look at total putts, total putts is not good. So the one I would look at is putts for green regulation. That only gives you so much, but I worked a lot on speed and then I worked a lot on my setup position. So um, I would, before I switched to uh cross-handed last year. So I switched cross-handed and I switched to a new putter, switched to a, a, um, a mallet putter. So I'd always used um, a blade and, I kind of realized beginning of last year before COVID, I wasn't lining it up correctly. So like I thought I was aimed straight. I'd be aimed right edge. So that's a very big gap. And this was from like 15 feet. It was not far away. So, um, you know, I got, got the mallet and figured out, hey, okay, this sets up better for me. And then I would get a little handsy. So I would kind of, uh, my right hand would kind of take over and I'd, I'd flip putts. Um, I'd pull a lot of putts. So what cross-handed kind of allowed me to do was not really have to think about my stroke. So I, I do not think about my putting stroke at all. Um, I literally get up to it and I set it up and I, I stroke it. I make sure my setup position is, is the same. I use, one, I use an eyeline mirror. Um, and then every now and then I get the putter going a little bit too far left. So I'll put a T just in front of the mirror on the left. Um, and I'll put the gate in the mirror. And, and that's pretty much what I do. Um, and then I, I like to see a lot of putts go in the hole. So I'll put a lot from inside 10 feet just to see the ball going in. Um, and then I do a lot of speed stuff. And what I've started doing now that I, that I actually started doing two weeks ago um, is I don't necessarily putt to the hole when I do speed. I either have like a phantom hole or I have yeah. a coin that I putt to, which I never liked. But I actually start talking to um, John Graham. Yeah. And when I talked to him, he, he gave me a few putting putting trolls today. So I think the not putting to the hole is now I can see how consistent that speed is. And I'll do something kind of where I um, I try to do like a ladder drill um, to really control that speed. I mean, that's literally exactly what I discussed. You know, personally, when I was playing professionally in my 20s, I, as I've said a million times on the podcast, I won't bore everyone's story again. I was not a good putter. And my speed practice was basically just haphazardly rolling balls all around the green and with no real thought. And then when Jordan Spieth was a, was a teenager, he was practicing out at my home course quite a bit. And I'm just watching this dude do speed drills all day long. And I'm like, I mean, I'm a current at the time I'm a member of the corn fairy tour and I'm like watching a 15 year old practice. <laughs> What's wrong with this picture, but the dude can putt. And I started switched it and started doing nothing but speed drills, ladder drills, essentially without the hole and, and basically just dead straight putts, dead straight yep. up and down a hill, 30 foot putts. All I'm doing is my speed here. And then take that with, you know, pretty good stroke mechanics and 
I've been a great putter ever since. It really is amazing how once you understand how to focus on speed in your practice, it's just, I mean, I don't want to say it's just not that hard because it's very hard, but it's actually not that hard to, to get better really quick when you're practicing yeah, yeah, in an organized yeah, I think manner. The whole like thing that. too, is it just takes away, you know, the, if your speed's good, it's just one less thing to have to worry about. And then you don't really have hard second putts. Yeah. Even if you had a bad second putt, you probably have three or four feet. Yeah. Instead, you know, I did a bad, I did bad first putt and I'd have, or bad first putts. Um, you know, if I had a bad first putt, I might have six feet. Yeah. Yeah. But also, I mean, so, your, your line is dictated by your speed. So having good distance control is just going to yeah, bleed absolutely. through everything. It, it, it's a key, yeah. key skill. Brilliant. There we go. Have you got any more questions, Scott? Or are you, are you there? I got one just because I always like uh, like getting a little personal in this stuff. She told me before that she's got some great stories from the Curtis and Solheim Cup. And obviously with this being an Olympics year and all kinds of uh, other fun team events, what what's your favorite, Kurt, or if they're both great, whatever, what's what's uh, what's your favorite team story? Solheim Cup one's better, but the Curtis Cup one. So we were talking about um, nerves on the first tee. So like it, early in the week, um, it it was pretty much – I knew I was going to be in the first group off, and then how it worked out, we played alternate shot, and it worked out that I was going to hit the odd number of tee shots. So they were like, okay, I'll think you're going to have the first tee shot of the 2012 Curtis Cup. I was like, okay, sweet. So <laughs> it was going to be a driver off one, and they're telling me for some reason about how in 2008, Stacey Lewis hit the first tee shot at St. Andrews, and she topped a five wood. <laughs> or three <laughs> like and they think this is a good thing to tell me that like oh she she cold topped it they're like oh yeah you know she was the best player on the team went five and oh but she cold topped it on one so we get out on friday morning and the wind is blowing 30 miles an hour and it's straight downwind and i do not need to hit driver i need to hit like a five wood off the first tee and i turned to my partner i turned to brooke and I was like, there's no way I'm hitting five wood. <laughs> like, I'm not topping it off this box. So I hit, I hit driver and I just sent it into the tall grass. And we ended up, we ended up making par, or we ended up making par. We, we lost the first ball, but we, we ended up uh, winning the match. <laughs> yeah. And you didn't but, top it on the first, which is good. No, but I didn't top it on the first. Yeah. And so then uh, at Solheim Cup, um, first match was also alternate shot and I was going to play Paul Kramer and same thing worked out where we're not the first match of the day we're the third match of the day but we're um or second match that I can't remember but I'm gonna tee off on the odd holes so I had the first tee shot so I'm asking you know pretty early in the week I know I know I'm gonna hit the first tee shot so I'm asking everybody on the team I'm like one of two rookies on the team and I'm asking everyone on the team like oh hey you know what are you doing on the first tee? Blah, blah, blah. So I'm asking like Christy Kerr to explain the first tee. I'm asking, um, you know, literally everybody, Julie. And they're all like, oh, you know, you can't really describe the first tee. Like it's not like anything else. I was like, come on guys. Yeah. Like it can't be that different. Like just <laughs> give me Let's something. <laughs> like don't tell me, oh, it's not, it's whatever. So um, and then like Nancy Lopez is our pod leader and she's like, oh, just breathe. And I was like, Nancy, I know I need to breathe. We go to, so finally, you know, we're, it's like morning of, and I have never been so nervous than when we got there. People get there like at 6 a.m., we tee off at like 8, and this place is rocking. So go warm up, and number one was reachable with the driver. But so for alternate shot, Paula wanted a pitch shot. So she wanted like a 40 yard pitch shot. So 
I'm going to hit three wood off the tee. So I wasn't worried about topping it, but I was going to hit three wood off the tee. And we had a little bit of help. And I really wanted her to let me hit driver so I can just knock it on the green. And she's like, no, just let me pitch out. Let me pitch out. So I was like, all right. So the best advice I got on the entire thing was from Paula. And it was on the tee box. on And we get up there and Paula's like, just take two really hard practice swings. So we got up and they announced us. They do the thing now for TV where like the four of you stand there and yeah, they announce yeah. all of you. So, you know, we're up there and like I'm nervous, but I'm not like super nervous by the time we get to see off. So they announce us, wave, and then they reannounce uh, Georgia because she's Georgia Hall's teeing off for Europe. So they reannounce her uh, representing Great Britain or not Great Britain Island, um, representing Europe, yeah. uh, Georgia Hall. They go crazy. So they, I tee off second. They do the same thing for me. They say, oh, representing the United States of America, all starts. And I tee the ball down, and I do not know how I got the ball to stay. My hand was shaking <laughs> so bad. <laughs> and so I did. I took I took Paula's advice. I took two really hard practice swings, and I piped it down the fairway, and I had like 20 yards to the front edge. And we got up there, and she's like, you left it too close. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, Good bit of – But, yeah, that was – awesome. Yeah. I have maybe I have maybe some more applicable. Uh, not many of our listeners will play in the Solheim Cup, most likely, but we used to have a a Ryder Cup style deal between our sister club down here in Dallas called the White Rock Matches. And you know I'm a pretty good player. I'm usually six to ten shots better than my partner for alternate shot, and they were usually just always. I'm so sorry. Like I'm sorry. And I'm like, dude. And my first tee strategy was I always got them a really, really strong drink and myself a really, really tall water and just acted like, let's chug this thing. We're just going to have some fun. And I'm just trying to get them at least a little buzzed as quickly as physically possible. And also thinking that I was doing the same and uh, I was not. (laughs) There's, Austin, there's a, there's a video out there of uh, before Curtis cup of you talking about how you'd never played alternate shot before how, once you finally did, obviously at an extremely high level, did you like it or, or did you not never like played it? alternate shot before? Wow. What yeah, are you guys what, doing yeah, over there? Yeah. yeah we, don't, we don't do that over here. Like I'm at a golf, oh, I'm at a golf I, in the UK. You just yeah. constantly play. We call it foursomes basically is what it's called. So alternate shot, but like you grow up playing it. I like it a lot. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, you know, we played, you know, the only time we play it is for, for those matches. So like we only played at Solheim Cup. That's amazing. Cause you never get it. You never get it where if you're going to play a match, like I play matches all the time at home, but if there's four of us, we just play four ball. Like we just play right. best ball. Yeah. So, but I think it's a lot of fun. I think, you know, you definitely have to have a good relationship with your partner. And you have to have a lot of trust in your partner yeah. because the whole thing, whole thing with it is like Paul and I did a really good job of on like par fives talking about obviously not on one. Cause I left her too short of a yeah. shot, but on par fives, like we would talk about in, in the practice rounds leading up and then day of, okay, Hey, where do you want this ball? Like, do you want, 100 yards like my number is kind of 80 like I love 80 yards yeah. <clears throat> and if we're gonna lay up I said hey if you can leave me 80 that would be great and you know stuff like that and I thought the interesting thing with us for four foursomes is we both play different golf ball so instead of the first day we tried to figure out like whose golf ball we would play but in match play you can play different balls yeah so I played Tyler's ball she played a Bridgestone ball at the time 
So I would tee off with the Bridgestone ball if she was going to hit it into the um, green. And then she would tee off the Tyler's ball if I was hitting it, the shot into the oh, green. That's interesting, yeah. But I thought I thought it was a lot of fun. And then playing with her, she was rolling it. So I was like, if I had to get it on the green, you're probably going to get birdie. So here you go. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a good foursome spot <laughs> that you yeah. have. But yeah, I think I think it's fun. It can go really, it can go really bad. Oh, it can go sideways for if, teams, yeah. 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 And it, it's yeah. just a sorry but fest. I, I think it's really fun. Yeah. It it's probably the ultimate mental game to actually because it's yeah. it's impossible to not think you're screwing your partner over constantly. And also sometimes even though you're like, oh, it's okay, partner, sometimes you're like, you have to put you have to put a sorry count on forces when you play. Like as soon as you've hit five sorries, you're now not allowed to say it again because every time you say sorry, it annoys me even more. <laughs> I'd rather you they, I'd rather you just us. shank it than yeah. say sorry because like I could deal with that. The rule it put us up was we were not allowed to say sorry. Yeah, I like that. That is a foursome's golden rule. There you go. Thank you, Austin, for your time. One quick, really quick question. Are we going to see you at Carnoustie this year for the Open? I guess travel is happening for you professional sports. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be a great event. I think so. I mean, August. we played last year, so I would would think we're playing. Yeah, August 19th to 22nd, Carnoustie, the AIG Women's Open. That's uh, We call it the Women's Open. You called it the Women's British Open earlier, didn't you? Is that what is it? Well, they, they mixed it up on us. So we used to call it the Women's British Open, and then they call now they call it the Women's Open. So I haven't quite gotten that. No, no, yeah. But then, but now, I mean, we have the U.S. Women's Open, and then we, so like, I'll call both of them the Women's Open now, and then I'll just confuse everyone. Which one would you rather win? (laughs) Quickly, just before we finish, would you rather win the Women's Open, the Carnoustie, or any other year, or the U.S.? U.S. Yeah, all right. I think as an American, you have to say U.S. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I'll take, I'll take Carnoustie, though. Yeah, absolutely. You're not going to turn it down. <laughs> absolutely. Thank you for your time, Austin. Lovely to speak to you. Um, good luck for the rest of the, the year, everyone listening. If you want to look out for Austin Ertz this year, she's having um, a great start for the year. And obviously, if she could pick up a major, would be quite amazing, wouldn't it? That would be a dream come true, would it not? Yeah, it'd be unbelievable. Absolutely. Thank you for your time. Thank you for everybody listening. As always, if you like the podcast, do subscribe down below because you do get the podcast earlier and leave a review. As always, thanks for listening.